Reconstructionist Radio presents a War Room production, setting the record straight, with Pastor Gordon Runyon and friends, as they seek to dissect and understand many of the theological issues within American evangelicalism today, both in the pulpit and the pew. Welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. My name is Jason Garwood, and I serve as lead pastor of Callwood Church in Cairo, Michigan. This podcast is meant to be an interactive podcast, so if you have any questions about covenantalism, theonomy, postmillennialism, presuppositional apologetics, or Reformed theology in general, please do not hesitate to contact us. You can find us on Facebook at both the Setting the Record Straight page or our main page, Reconstructionist Radio. Let's begin. The question of theonomy and the role of God's law in society always comes with unsettling feelings, at least for those who are ingrained to think that there are places in the universe that are neutral and that those places no Christian ought to venture to. The typical pietist in evangelicalism believes that the lordship of Christ only goes so far. Jesus is to be Lord of my heart, they say, and Jesus is Lord between my ears. It almost goes without saying that you wonder at times if there is anything between their ears, especially when it comes to politics. The recent evangelical support of Donald Trump is my footnoted evidence here. At any rate, evangelicalism has given itself over to the idea that neutrality exists in most of the material realm. And because of it, Christians should only love on people and reach out, whatever that means. Our job is to get people to become Christians, hurry up and pray like a good pessimillennialist that Christ will come back quickly to mop it all up and pray that it happens soon. I'd like to illustrate this point. I put out a blog post last week with my comments on a recent proposal from the Michigan Department of Education. Uh, The group has put forth a strategic plan of sorts for getting public schools to embrace both gay and transgender ideology. This plan includes training teachers to be sensitive to those needs and even helping children discover their gender without parental consent. They want restroom, shower, and changing accommodations. Anyhow, this is what we expect from God-hating pagans, so I made my biblically informed opinion known. Well, that afternoon, I was alerted that a gentleman had commented on my Facebook link to my blog, and and he asked me a question. He said, where in the Bible does it say that we should legislate Christianity? Now, to be clear, this was an acquaintance from the past, roughly five to six years ago, and we are no longer Facebook friends. But somehow, he ended up at my post and wanted to engage in what appeared to be a friendly dialogue. I went back and forth with him for nearly probably upwards of 30 comments, but at one point I decided just to delete the thread because I didn't want anyone else seeing his nonsense. He kept asking me, show me a verse in the Bible that's not ripped out of context that says we should legislate Christianity. I pointed him to places like Romans 13 and Psalm 2 and other places, trying to show him that this is something that we logically deduce from Scripture. And that you aren't going to just find one verse that says, Thou shalt legislate Christianity. By the way, here's a pro tip for you. If anyone asks for you to show them one single verse that says something, this is a clue that they aren't interested in hearing your opinion. 
politely move along and remember not to feed the trolls. This gentleman clearly had no concept of covenant theology, nor did he have a category for the state being a God-ordained institution, despite the very clear verses of Romans 13, 1-7. Knowing this, I decided that I would instead illustrate the point. I said to him, Do you think it is worth the fight to try to get Roe v. Wade overturned and abortion ended right now, even overnight? I wasn't expecting his follow-up comment, frankly. Um... That comment was what pushed me over the edge because I couldn't believe that he would say what he actually said. He replied, Why should we waste all that time and energy trying to get a law passed when SCOTUS won't hear it anyway? Shouldn't we take that time and money and put it into poor neighborhoods? If you're thinking he's a socialist at this point, you might be correct. I don't know. But that was his statement. You you can't nor should, according to him, legislate Christianity. And because that proposition is true in his mind, remember, let's, let's just throw money at the poor and hope for the best. He didn't clarify whose money. Of course, he meant ours. But whether or not he even has a strategic plan for this is yet to be determined. I was both dumbfounded and filled with righteous indignation, to say the least, Millions upon millions of babies ripped to shreds, and the average evangelical thinks two things. One, incrementalism is the way to go. And two, we have no business in politics. This is the pietism of America, my friends, and it is ugly. If your worldview is so small that you can't even get on board with preventing the slaughter of innocents in the womb, then let me tell you something. The blood guilt is on your hands, too. Unbelievable. If this is the type of thinking that passes in our schools and colleges and churches, then rest assured, God will raise up someone else to deal with this, and it won't be the pietists. Which means we need to set the record straight on something, and it has a lot to do with pessimillennialistic eschatologies. Because we have a generation of Christians who grew up under the false teaching of dispensationalism, we have a generation of Christians who have zero capability of constructing a biblically informed, exegetically sound social theory. Both premillennialism and amillennialism are castrated versions of God's covenantal purposes in history. The gross error of dispensationalism in our culture, and thanks be to God that it is nearly dead, has created two particular problems, both of which are interrelated. One, All of the passages that the apostles cite that pertain to Christ's current kingdom and lordship have been relegated to some obscure future. That's step one. And step two, because of number one, ethical consideration and godly dominion in the world is null and void. We have blasphemously rejected the sovereign rule of Christ over all things in time and in history. And we've raised the white flag to the God of state and said, we surrender. Our king will come back someday and deal with this. I'm sure of it. Thanks to the pietistic escapist religion, evangelicalism has been unable to give a coherent answer to the problems we face in America today. Not only are there no answers given, they see these problems as being a good thing. Because that means that the rapture is right around the corner and we can get out of here. If God decided to convert every single non-saved American overnight our churches wouldn't know what to do. If the Spirit brought His regenerating power to America in an unprecedented display of God's miraculous transforming glory, it would be crickets and quiet from the escapist crowd. 
the federal and state legislatures couldn't possibly turn to the churches to find out what to do. They, they would show up and say, well, how, how should we govern? What laws should be in place now that we know Christ? And the church would say, well, we don't know. Ask the Reconstructionists. This is a problem. And at its root is the idea that Christ is Lord in our heads and in our hearts and only in our heads and our hearts. We have to cast off the unbiblical chains of this false thinking and embrace the reality. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it is the duty of all kings, presidents, governors, local mayors, and nations to bow before him. Psalm 72.11 declares, May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Psalm 2 was fulfilled in Jesus Christ's first coming. We're not waiting for Psalm 2 to be fulfilled. God established his king on Zion. Jesus ascended to the Father, the Ancient of Days, in fulfillment of Daniel 7. And this Son of Man is seated right now with total and complete legislative authority in heaven and on the earth. Did you catch that? Jesus tells us that he has complete authority on earth. And Psalm 2 commands that all rulers pay homage. They're to kiss the Son, it says, to King Jesus. The, the gospel message is very simple. There is a new king enthroned in the capital city, so come along quietly and follow orders. If the institution of the state is going to function the way that God has set it up to function, then tyrants must either be converted or replaced. We want godly leaders who enact godly laws for righteous reasons found only in the law of God. The unborn innocents who are slain each day, yes, we should, in fact, legislate Christianity because only Christianity provides a coherent, fully-orbed worldview that values life, protects property, and executes justice appropriately. God will not be mocked. It amazes me that people like this fellow who wrote on my post can't see the wholeness of Christ's kingdom, and that includes the material realm, contrary to what the dualists put forth. Jesus has complete authority, complete legislative authority. Political history is actually subordinate to God's kingdom history. The reason we're in the moral mess we're in, the culture of death, rampant injustice, the growing cult of statism and increasing sexual promiscuity, is because the church has said, we're not here for very long as it is, and we don't really care about redeeming culture. We're just, we're focused on just preaching the gospel. If your gospel doesn't address all things that currently sit under the feet of King Jesus, then your gospel is impotent for the here and now. Instead of fighting against those of us who want to labor in the here and now for Christ and his crown rights in our society, how about taking a seat and staying quiet? You're not helping the matter. You're contributing to the downgrade. If you're not going to come up with, a, with biblical solutions, but instead rely on humanism to figure it out, then please leave it be. The Lordship of Christ changes everything. Our King is the King, and this King intends to make his name famous in time, on earth, in history. The Lordship of Christ means something. Thanks for listening. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for joining Pastor Gordon Runyon and friends as they set the record straight. Visit us at reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks. The 
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now to your favorite shows on iTunes, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner financially with this ministry. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.